You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible at Matthew chapter 10. How many of you were here this morning? And I just see your hand. Now, you heard Pastor Gary say just now that if you weren't here, make sure you get that message because we spoke about partnering with the anointing. We understand that every one of us, each one, as you're born again, you're born in the image of God. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are born again. And so the Holy Spirit moves into our lives. We also saw there was the account where uh, they were ministering the Word and they found a group of believers and then they asked, have you received the Holy Spirit? Now you do understand that if they're born again, it was only by the Holy Spirit. So why would he say, have you received the Holy Spirit? And their answer was, we didn't even know there's a Holy Spirit. Shows you the grace and mercy of God. And so they're born again, but he said, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And when he administered on the anointing, ministered on the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began to speak in other tongues. So there is an unction that flows as a result of the fivefold ministry. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And there is a move of the enemy to try and separate us from the, the church as a whole. You know, you hear people say, because there's a scripture that says, you have no one need to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit. He'll remind you of what, I've been taught, what you've been taught. He'll guide you into truth. He'll show you things to come. Well, I don't need anybody to teach me. I have the Holy Spirit. And yet, the scripture says, he's given teachers to equip the believers. So you've got to line those two up together. They've got to live together. But you've got to read it in context. You will see when he said that, it was because there was deception coming in. And people were trying to teach them away from this anointing, the anointed one. And so he's saying, hang on, if you know the anointed one, if you have the anointing in you, no one can teach you away from what you've been taught. Because we do know the word does say, how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So there are some things that no matter how much you spend time in the Word, no matter how much you listen to the Holy Spirit, and we should all be doing that. You want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, be listening to His voice, be listening to His Word, be ministering with the Holy Spirit, reading the Bible. We should always be doing that as individuals. But no matter how much you hear that, no matter how much you receive, no matter how much you have revelation, there are some things that God will deliver to you through the man of God. He said, how will they hear without a preacher? And then you, that's Romans 10. You keep going down, you get to verse 17. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The implication is by that word which is spoken through an unction and anointing. So God brings us together. There's the personal anointing that you will walk in, but there's also the corporate anointing. So there are some things that we as the body of Christ together will not be able to fulfill unless we're united in it. You can only go so far as an individual. That's the purpose behind partnership. Well, it stands to reason. Just think about that. Uh, if, if God called me to go and preach in, in, a, in a foreign nation across the ocean, say, uh, right off the bat, 
I'm going to at least need to partner with an airline. Isn't that right? Because how am I going to get to the other side? I'm going to swim. No, I need a partner to get me to the other place. So I, I need drivers. I need, you know, uh, pilots. I need uh, aerostasis. I need, come on, are you getting what I'm saying? There's a whole bunch of things that are going to have to happen before I can preach over there. But then again, how do I get there? How do I finance that? Because up to this point, I've, I've walked up to people, you know, you can stand there and have a look with puppy eyes. No one's ever said, you know, what do you do as a living? No, I'm a pastor. Oh, don't worry, don't pay for your ticket. No airline's ever said that. Are you with me? So that's where the financing comes in. That's what we're talking about, that partnership. When you partner with the ministry, then even though the preacher goes somewhere, gets people saved, there is a blessing in that for you. So you may never preach to anyone. You may never do an altar call, yet you've got names logged as you have led them to Jesus. You're gonna have, when you get into heaven one day, someone's going to come and say, thank God, because of you, I'm in heaven. You go, I never met you. I've never seen you. No, you gave. You supported the ministry. And, and as a result, I was saved. And it's counter to your account as well. And if we understand that and we come into agreement with that, you're going to take your whole life to another level. That's what we spoke about. That's where Paul says, you are partakers of my grace. And then I refer to the scripture in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaking, and he says, verse 40, he who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. You notice the process? You receive Jesus. Jesus said, if you receive me, you receive the Father. So, you know, if you love God, you want to hear from the Father, Yes. And then he says, but if you receive me, you receive the Father. But you notice he doesn't stop there. If you want to receive me and the Father, you need to receive him who speaks in my name. So there's no ways we can say, I, I, I want to serve God. I want to serve Jesus. I just don't need the pastor. I don't need another man in my life. But he says, yeah, verse 41, he receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He receives a prophet. Now you could put in there, because how many you understand the prophet is by anointing? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are all unctions, they're all anointings. So you could say he receives an apostle in the name of an apostle. He receives a pastor in the name of apostle. What's he mean by that? He receives, in other words, you receive the gift because he walks in that anointing. So when you, what we're saying is you receive the prophet in the name of a prophet, it's because you're recognizing the anointing on that. So sometimes people ask, why do you call you know, your pastors? Why do you call him Pastor Alan? That's not his name. No, my name is Alan. It works pretty well for me. So if someone calls Alan, I'll answer. And my mom used it for many years. She thought it was a great name. And so, you know, it's, it's not that we need titles. Who called you an apostle? Uh, I didn't. God called me. He sent me. That's what the word apostle means. The original Greek, apostolos, means a sent one. Amen. So if I'm sent, it's not that you are one of the 12 apostles, because those will never change. Those are the 12 apostles. Their names are written on the foundations in heaven. Are you with me? But you read through the word, you'll see, if you go read the original Greek, there's a lot more that are sent. 
using the word apostolos. They just didn't translate it through as apostle. But when you say apostle, it's not some title. It's not like saying General Allen or Colonel Allen. Are you with me? It's, it's, not a, it's not a title. It is a description. You're recognizing the gift for what it is. And I'm willing to receive the gift. And what he's saying, if you receive that gift, you receive the reward that comes with that gift. You're getting that. So that's why you can have two people sitting next to each other and I'm teaching the word. One person goes, hallelujah. They walk out, you're all blessed. Another one says, I just don't get any. I don't agree with them. See, they never received me as a teacher. And they want to argue with everything I say, debate everything. Uh, is it in the word? I'm teaching the word, it is written. Yeah, well, I just don't know. I just, you see, I don't know who, who called you, who made you, who, who placed you, what, what, what your credentials. Well, you're not receiving so until you get over that, it's useless sitting here because you're not receiving anything, not you, the person. But if you say, God sent this man into my life, I'm willing to receive. So you receive the prophet because he's a prophet. There is a reward. There's a flow of reward. Now, how did this come about? Well, you, let's go have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now it happened, verse 1, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that's where they were living, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the woman and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Isn't it amazing when something goes wrong, we're going to blame someone else. And sometimes when we hear the word of God and something doesn't work out in life, then we want to blame the pastor. They now want to stone David. Now, I've never had that. <laughs> Praise God. Someone's so upset with me, they want to come stone me. But <laughs> David was in serious trouble here. The men are saying, you took us out to battle. Now, I have to say, you know, a few days before that, were they quite happy with that? They were all, you know, they, 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 we're talking about these are the broken, busted and disgusted men. The Bible says that they had, everything was messed up in their lives and David brought them together as a band and they went on to, to great success. So they, they saw that, they acknowledged that. And so when David said, we're going out to battle, they were prepared to go with him. But when they came back and find their families gone, now they want to kill the man. And so they're getting ready to stone David. And so David was greatly distressed. Verse 6, the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the, all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself. David strengthened himself. Now, family of God, Hear me, I know all of us 
would like to know people around us love us. Come on. None of us want to walk around thinking everybody's against us. I, I don't know about you. I like to be loved. And you say amen to that. But I'm fully aware not everybody likes me. I'm fully aware of it. Sometimes people think they're going to shock me. Did you hear so-and-so? They said they don't like you. I don't understand why. Obviously, they've never met me. To know me is to love me. You see, even someone finds that offensive. Excuse me. Love is a person. God. It's no longer I love. It's love who lives within me. You are obligated to love me. And me, you. Amen. But what am I saying? I get that not everybody understands what we're doing. Jesus said, you will prosper in this life, but with persecution. There's not everybody gets it. And so none of us have been in a place where everybody hates us. And yet here is a situation. Everybody wants to kill David. That's not a time ago. No one loves me. I don't know why. I just don't understand. How, you know, yesterday I was fine. Everybody liked me then. And now I'm looking at the It's very easy to get upset with someone because you're expecting them to love you and they don't love you the way you think they should. What, what's the problem? What? 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 And, and now we're all upset with them. And now what's happened? We've become anti Christ, anti the anointing working in our lives. Yes, David, the whole camp, there's not one man there that stands in front of David and says, come on, guys, come on, come on, come on. Let's, let's pull ourselves together. No, they all want to kill him. But you notice, didn't put him off. He strengthened himself. Family, you don't need people to make you feel accepted when you have God on your side. Let me say it again. I like it when people accept me, but I don't need it. I only need one in my life, and that is Jesus. And if He accepts me, I don't care who doesn't like me. My strength doesn't come from you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's where I find my strength. And if you can renew your mind to that, you'll never be offended again. How can you talk to me like that? I don't care. Someone can look at me spitting in my face and angry. And, you know, I'll just look at them and smile and say, praise God. You done? After all of that, I still love you. I'm praying for you. Amen. That's a decision we make. And so he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. So now he recognizes there's nothing left for them to do. This is way outside of the possible. This is the moment of impossible. And so David then goes to his God. Verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, please bring the ephod here to me. Now people have debated what that is and you know you can come up with all your reasonings as well. But historically, we're not sure of what that is because it's not taught in scripture. 
But evidently it was a method they used to be able to hear from God. Because you look at the next statement is he says, and Abiathar brought the effort to David and David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? Family, you never want to make a decision based on what your flesh is saying. Always find out what to do next from God. And then God answered him and said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That's all he needed to hear. Now he's filled with faith. Now we can do this. And he says, mount up, we're going. We're gonna get everybody and everything back. Let's go. And they hit this forced march and that is they gather every piece of equipment they can that they're going to need and they're running. They literally are running. These guys are days ahead of them and they got to catch up. But God said, you will catch them. So let's go. And so he and 600 men who were with him came to Brook Besor where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross the Brook Besor. Now, generally speaking, the Hebrew language talks, you know, the beginning and then the end and then there's something in between and then because and that happened. So just to sort it out for you, what happened was they went on this forced march and they got to this river, Brook Besor, but 200 of the men, because of the extent of the equipment they were carrying, they just got so tired, they couldn't carry on. And so David said, look, this is gonna be a hectic battle. We're going after the Amalekites. I need everybody to be fresh. So what we're gonna do is dump all the equipment here. Just take your weapons. As long as you have your weapons with you, the supplies, the food and the water, everything they had brought with them, they stay here. You 200 stay and look after this. The rest of us will go, the 400. And now they could run much quicker because they're lighter and they could catch up. And you keep reading, they come across a young man and he points out where they are and they do. They eventually catch up and they get to the battle. And so come down to verse 17. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. That's almost 24 hours of battle. Now, family God, you do understand that when you win this kind of battle, this is not, you know, nice and sweet. This is heads cut off, stabbed, you know, Blood and splattering, total annihilation, slicing, dicing battle. 24 hours. I'm getting somewhere. I'm saying that for a reason. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Now listen to verse 18. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking. Just like God said, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Say he recovered all. 
Then David took of all the flocks and the herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. And then David came back to the 200 men who'd been so weary they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered, wicked and worthless. They just conquered the Amalekites. But something has been revealed here. Wicked means twisted. It's a wrong thinking. Everybody say wrong thinking. The wicked and worthless men said, because they did not go with us, we won't give them any of the spoil that we've recovered except for every man's wife and children. He can have his family, but they can't have the stuff and they can go with their family. David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. He's preserved us. He delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. Who will heed you in this matter? Now listen to this. As his part is, who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be, who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. What's David saying? God is the one who gave us this battle. Now we had to fight. And that's something I want you to get a hold of tonight. I'm gonna to show us, and I want us to have revelation. The anointing is there to remove burdens and destroy yokes. The anointing strengthens us. The anointing equips us. But that anointing has to be put into action. They still had to go into battle. They still had to do. So David is saying it's because God was with us that we succeeded. But also remember, the reason you could fight for 24 hours is because you didn't have to carry your rucksack. These men stayed here, and you may think they didn't fight, but if they didn't look after your stuff, you may not have been able to fight. If he had taken all 600 and forced them into battle, they may have been too tired and might have been wiped out. Family of God, no matter how strong the anointing is, if we're not wise, we can still fail. You've got to get a hold of that. Anointing does amazing things. But if it's just anointing alone, we can fail. You know, everybody's talking revival and revival is happening and we're experiencing revival. I'm going to be dealing with some of it this week at Kings and Priests. But here's the thing. You can be so anointed and be totally blessed and full of the presence of God. But if we don't take that anointing and put it into action, you can be stupid and then anointed. And when the anointing passes by, the person's healed and delivered and set free and, and wonderful things happen, a move of God, a powerful move, and you experience the anointing and then walk out and you haven't done anything by changing what you think, that person, the stupid person anointed, then the anointing does its work, they're still stupid on the other side. We have to understand 
that what we receive by the Holy Spirit needs to be put into action. And that action requires a change of thinking. And David's changing the thinking here. He's saying, listen, you're successful because you fought. But you must understand that success was effective because somebody helped you. You may not see it as a help, but even though they weren't personally involved in the battle, the battle was a success because they were here. And everybody gets to share the same spoil. I've said it in context before. If you understand that for me to preach the gospel, everybody looks what happens on this platform, but they don't recognize this is, this is one hour that I'm up here. But there were seven days of preparation by a whole team of people, a whole team, everybody from the person that cleaned the carpet, every single person. We may think of certain jobs as, as less than important. Now, if we all walked in here and there was papers everywhere and everything was a mess and it smelled musty and it's dirty and whatever, how many you know that someone may come to give their life to Jesus? They walk in, I'm not coming in, yeah. The whole thing needs to be equipped and ready. So when someone gives their life to Jesus, it's a whole process of people working together. So I lead the person to Jesus and that's accounted to my record, to my credit. But according to David, you who welcomed the person at the door, the one who made sure they could park okay, the one that took their children to children's church, the one that made sure they felt welcome, the one that smiled at them when they were expecting everybody to look at them weird, the one that, in other words, the whole process all together. And what happened? We conquered the battle. We destroyed the enemy. We destroyed his work in that person's life. The burden was removed. The yoke was destroyed. The veil was removed. And they gave their life to Jesus. I get the reward for that, but you receive the prophet's reward. The same reward flows into your life. And so when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go into the workplace, you're not just going back to be an accountant or be a cleaner or to be a lawyer or to be a bricklayer, whatever it is. You're not just going back to doing that. That is part of you equipping yourself, being in the community, being in the workplace so that this anointing that's released on a Sunday continues to flow through the week that people you connect with is drawing people to the place where we can get them either saved during the week, get them into home cell they get saved, you lead them to Jesus, get them to church on Sunday, and we're going to have another revival the next week. And this revival is going to continue through the week, but it's going to take action. It's not send revival, send revival, send revival, send revival. And we think if we keep talking about other revivals, about the Welsh revival and Azusa Street revival and what God did back then, family of God, we're losing the plot. I do. I like to study previous revivals. I, I enjoy it. But just talking about it doesn't evoke revival. Revival is when you and I take that anointing that's in us and take that anointing and put it into action. It's me serving Jesus. It's me loving God. It's me waking up every morning, worshiping Him, saying, Father, I'm going to the battleground, but I'm not going on my own. you sending me into battle. I'm going where you tell me to go. Do I do this? Yes. Then I'm going to pursue. I will overtake. I will recover all. That's revival in action. 
That's where we're going to see change. How many of you know we've had revivals over the years? How many of you have been longer than, you know, 10, 15, 20 years serving Jesus? We've seen there's a revival, there's a revival. Where's the change? I want revival as much as anybody else. But what do we mean by that? Is it just mean we pack out the church building? There's another revival. Hallelujah. Everyone's coming to our church. No, it's taking it out there onto the battleground. Can I get a bigger amen? This morning we had a look at Philippians chapter 3. And yeah, we see Paul talking about these things. This is what I want us to get a hold of. We are the circumcision, verse 3 who worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice in the anointed one, Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. See, that was David. They wanted to kill him. But what did he do? He said, I'm not gonna trust the flesh. Let me hear from God. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, If anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am also circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. What's he saying? I'm of the right stock. Sometimes we think a certain race makes us superior. I'm of the right race. That's what he's saying. He says, I I come from high quality stock. (laughs) That's what he's listing credentials. I went to the best schools. Man, I was in Yale and Oxford and I got all the degrees. Family of God, we've got to be careful with these things. We want to be a new man. Old man's passed away, all things have become new. And it really bothers me that in the body of Christ, we love God, we worship God, we bless Him, we honor Him, you know, we're moving and church is growing, church is increasing, and yet I still find people holding on to their old racist ways. Now it went really quiet. I was like, mm, no amens. So, mm. Yeah, if I'm standing on toes, we have healing lines and we can always pray for that later. But it's something we need to address. I said, if we're going to move forward, it is something we need to address. Well, they're just not my people. You better get used to it because in heaven, there are no segregations. There are no lines. There's no signs. There's no, even across denominations. It's not like, you know, Methodists go that way, Presbyterians, you know, uh, all of you bunch that don't like noise go behind the soundproof room because it really gets noisy in heaven now. So, you know, we've made a special place. No, no, it's going to be one people, one people from all nations, all creeds. It's every color. Hallelujah. You think you don't want to live next to someone? Watch where God puts your mansion in heaven. Family, we really need to deal with this. Because when you look at our political parties, are trying to use color to separate us. And we as the church need to stand up against that. I'm going to keep going. Because I need some more amens here. Don't excuse it in any way. We all have our little excuses. No, 
This is something we need to deal with. We need to get rid of it. And if not, just go before God and ask Him for revival. I need my heart revived. Hallelujah. I want my children to experience the world we live in. I don't say, well, I can't have my children mixed with that group. I can't have them. No, my kids were raised in our kingdom, kids. They were amongst all that was there. Why? Because they raised to understand we are one nation, one kingdom of God. Amens are much more or less now. This is not political. I said it's not political. It is the kingdom of God. And I'm saying, if, if, if somebody is still holding on to those things, you need to identify your own heart and say, Father, I need this change. I need you to change my heart. And what's going to do that? The anointing. The anointing removes burdens and destroys yokes. Hallelujah. And when I can get rid of these things, then we can experience it. And I know when people listen to this, they think, oh, he's talking to that side. No, I don't care if you left, right, up, down. I don't care if you strong, weak, male, female. I don't care what color you call yourself and whatever label you may have. I'm talking across the spectrum. Because if you have a problem this side, you need to get okay with this side. If you have a problem with this side, you need to get okay with this side. I love them as long as they stay that side of the river. No. Okay, the Lord, I, I, had, I was going to talk about putting action to the anointing. Evidently, God thinks this needs to be said. Hallelujah. It's amen or ouch. Oh, me or oh my or oh amen. How many say Amen. So here's Paul describing how perfect he was. He's right, the right race, the right lineage, the right family, the right education. But, everybody say but. but. Not but. 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 See, but annihilates everything that's just happened. What things were gained to me, what you thought made you superior, these are counted as loss for what? For the anointed one, his anointing. See, if I make a decision based on my political alliance, it's actually anti Christ, anti the anointing. Amen. For those that may not have been in my messages of the morning, anti Christ is not just a name for the devil. It's what it says, anti the anointed one. This is stop the anointing from working in our lives. But he says, if I want the anointing, I need to put all my credentials aside. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, this is New King James. This is, this is the politically correct statement. Rubbish. You go look up rubbish. Go back to the King James. Look at the original Greek. It's the word dung. <laughs> now you all know what dung is. What's Paul saying? All the stuff that we thought 
makes us superior or important or I can't hang out with that group, that is dung. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. Why? That I may gain this anointed one. You want to rise in the wind. That thing's got to become a stench in your nostril. If I have any thought of racism, it's got to stink in my nostril. Hello. Whether it's me or my children, it's got to stink. Family, racism stinks where I'm concerned. How do you say amen to that? Any form. Of discrimination. Why? Because we want the anointing. To be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness. Which is from the law. But that which is through faith in this anointed one. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know Him. The power of His resurrection. And fellowship. The partnership of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death. Now, people have misinterpreted that, that we must suffer the way Jesus did. No, the Bible is very clear. He became the curse so that we can be blessed. He was made to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. By His stripes we were healed. By His wounds. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace. So what suffering is He talking about? It is when you stand for these things, the same way Jesus was rejected and scorned by men, the same will happen to us. And in standing for the truth, you know there's going to be persecution. Now you come into fellowship. If it costs Jesus his blood, I'm prepared to stand for the truth no matter how much people will speak against it. Say amen. And then verse 12, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. Listen to this. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forget the things which are behind, reach forward to the things which are ahead, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us have the same mind. What's he saying? I've come a long way. How many of you know you've, you've probably thought along these lines, maybe seen it in a movie or whatever. Someone's on their, their deathbed and you know they're about to breathe their last. And you say, out of everything you've learned, what is the most important? How many you know you're going to think about that and say, what is really important? Then all the things that we thought were important have faded away. What do I want to leave with you that's going to mark your life? And Paul says, out of everything that I've succeeded in, one thing I have learned is that whatever has happened, get it out of your life. Forget it. 
Forget it. The devil is a mastermind of keeping you trapped in your yesterday. If he can keep you trapped in your yesterday, if he can keep you trapped in a victim mentality, if he can keep you trapped blaming somebody else, it's this one's fault, it's that one's fault, it's this government, it's this party, it's this people, it's this group, it's my wife, it's my husband, it's the kids I got, it's my boss. As long as you're trapped in a victim mentality, as long as the devil will keep you in your past, you will never move forward. That is up to you. The anointing won't change that. The anointing sets you free. But now, take what you've got and we need to change our mind and say, you know what? I am not going to allow my past to dictate my future. I put it aside and I forget it. I forgive all. But you don't understand. It's easy for you to speak where you come from. See, there you go again. That's exactly what I'm addressing. And we need to understand this. And I'm saying this with all due respect because we do not know what everybody's been through. I do know that. I do know, even if you tell me your story, I might not be able to understand it because I didn't live in that. So with that being said, you don't know my story either. And we're not judging mine was worse than yours. Paul didn't qualify this. He said, if I move on, I have to forget. What you do is up to you. But notice what he said. If you are of the same mind, if you want to mature, those of us who are mature will have this mind. The greatest freedom is to say, I forgive and I release it. Why? So I can take this anointing and press on. We need to go into action. If we're going to change anything, we have to be that change. As the church, we must make the difference. Stop waiting on the government to change things. They've already proven themselves and the moaning didn't change it either. We need to rise up as the church and be the change. We need to get out on the battlefield as anointed ones and put that anointing into action in your household, in your business, in the marketplace, wherever you have a place. You might not be able to change the world, but you can change your world. And if we work together, the reward is for all of us to enjoy together. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, have you ready to be that change? You ready to be that? And rise up. Stand and let God know. You are anointed. You're taking that anointing and you are getting out there to make a change, to make a difference. Hallelujah. We need to understand these things. Because it's going to take action. It's going to take action. Amen. Amen. Praise God. See, no one can take glory for the anointing that's in them. 
That's the problem in the church today. We've got the celebrity thing. Imagine Balaam, he's been told by God to go and deliver a message. What does he do? He runs away. He's on his donkey. Next moment, the donkey speaks to him. I love reading it because he's not shocked. It's not like, what? The donkey's talking. He starts having conversation with him. Like, what, what are you doing? He says, if you saw what I saw. Well, I don't see what you see. What do you see? I mean, this man's having a conversation with his donkey. And so eventually it's revealed. And so Balaam, he goes to the church. Now you notice, he doesn't get up and say, I'd like you to introduce you to my new, this, this, this donkey preached to me and I'm going to give him the mic today because, I mean, he's so anointed. No, the anointing was there for that moment. You see that? And there wasn't any man around, but God needed to speak to Balaam. So he anointed a donkey and that anointing enabled the donkey. But when the job was done, that anointing lifted. He didn't go up and then a donkey started his own ministry. You know. <laughs> donkey Ministries International. <laughs> no, the, the anointing was over. We didn't even know the name of the donkey. Isn't that right? So because God moves on me, anoints me, doesn't make me anything. It's no longer I love it. We're going to make Jesus famous. I said we have to make Jesus famous. So don't, you know, don't get lost in this idea, well, I don't have a name and, you know, I don't. No, no, you are anointed. But put it to action. Put it to action. And as we do, we will see our lives changed around us. Family, revival is not just what happens on the floor here. It's taking that anointing, changing your mind. Changing your mind. And going out there and making a difference. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. That's what we're talking about. Just lift your hands. Say, Father, thank you for this word. I receive it in the name of Jesus. Thank you for calling me to the anointed body of Christ. And I am anointed. And you've placed me specifically in this marketplace, in my life. You've placed me, you've positioned me for such a time as this. And I put it into action. That anointing is alive in me. And as I put it to action, we will see the glory of God manifesting all around us. And we will see our world turned for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God.